five four three two one what is going on everybody you're tuned into another episode of styles and dress and we have a special guest in the building mr rockley himself hello thank you guys for taking the time to get me here with yeah y'all. <laughs> thanks for coming on yeah oh. so yeah rock um for those who are from the Minnesota dance scene, uh, you may be familiar with Rock Lee. Um, for those uh, not, why don't you go ahead and just give us a little bit of your background and your pedigree and whatnot. All right, well, yep, was around in the scene, on the breakdancing scene in Minnesota, so the OGs are definitely familiar with me, but I know there's a lot of new cats, and that's partly the reason I'm been living out of the country for a long time, living mm-hmm. in Switzerland, business. Nice. International business administration is kind of like what I was doing out there, but at the same time, living life and trying to explore the dancing. And Awesome. Now I'm back and actually featured Turnstiles over here on the most recent episode I had on my own podcast, Colorado Little Promo Podcast, kind of whole music thing of where... My main goal on it is to promote artists and try to elevate people on stuff that might have gone past people's radars or should be coming to people's radars and kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah. How long have you been doing that for? Got it off the ground about a year ago, so I'm actually on episode 11 now. Mm. Yep, so it's been exactly a year to this point today. Cool. Who have you had on there, aside from Trim Style? Well, I have this other artist, ECG, the artist, he's from New York, used to live in Minnesota as well, but mm. he's based in California now doing music engineering and more producing stuff for people. ECG, sounds familiar, sounds very mm-hmm. familiar. He's here in Minnesota, like on the battle rap scene, mm. he he was really, really active on it. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. Well, cool, man. Um, other than that, how's everyone's day been? <laughs> Yeah, it's been uh, it, it's been it's been good um, for me personally. I um, went out to um, experience fitness, got a workout in, uh, did some cryotherapy, did some red light therapy. So, got all my uh, all my coldest colds and my hottest hots. Sweet, rock. It's been a little bit too crazy actually trying to get here on time yeah it's a little bit late <laughs> no, no supposed worries. to be here 15 minutes ago no, don't worry about it man you're running on dancer time right uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> but no the day has been a little bit tricky because i've also gotten in a new venture of racing go-karts so oh, okay actually i was at the garage with a couple friends just testing it out before mm-hmm. we go racing tomorrow oh dope yep sweet and now i'm here with y'all <laughs> in a whole different world Whole different world, man. Yeah. That's how it goes. How about you, Oz? Uh, today's been good. Um, I didn't go home last night. I was uh, I spent the night at a buddy's house in Prior Lake. We drank like four. What's up, step? Uh, we drank between me, my buddy, and one of our other good friends. We finished four bottles of red wine. Oh, damn! And then we did shrooms. Damn. Um, <laughs> And unfortunately, wow. because I didn't do shrooms on an empty stomach, it didn't really kick in. There's just like segments, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's still kind of kicking in right now. So that's how my day's been. Oh, ah, okay, I'm going yeah. in and out right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now, have you done shrooms before? No, okay. No. I mean, I've microdosed. Okay, um, but yesterday was my first time eating a few stems, and yeah, a few stems and heads. 
So, oh. yeah. Well, what do you think of the texture? This is just like mushrooms. Right on. See, yeah. yeah it's, like, it's just dry, that's all. Yeah. But nothing nothing crazy. Um, you know, yeah, again, I, I didn't, unfortunately, I, I should have done it on an empty stomach mm-hmm. so the whole effect can kick in. Uh, because I, because of the fact that I had like appetizers and wine, um, it was just segments. So mm-hmm. one particular segment was there's a point to where my body kind of froze up, and it's like the spirit in me wanted to like leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want to have like my like the world wanted me to have like an out of body experience while I was sitting there with my friends, and that's when I looked at them like, yeah, I think it's probably gonna kick in now. <laughs> my body wants to leave right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> But no, other than that, it's chill. it's chill. I'll probably do it on an empty stomach next time. I, I, I was expecting to see like goblins and shit like that. Well, it probably needed a little bit more of a dosage, but I definitely say with psychedelics, respect it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're not they're not your party drugs. If you oh no, yeah. no, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and you know the thing was it was spontaneous. Yeah, uh, we were the friends that I was hanging out with. We've always talked about it. I mean they've. You know they've done psychedelics like no other, and and I you know I've, I've microdosed, but I've never actually again ate a stem or a head or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So my buddy pulls out like a big bag of shrooms, and he's like, "You guys want to do it?" I'm like, oh, "Fuck it, all right, let's do it." <laughs> so it was just like a spontaneous thing. But no, 100 percent respect the psychedelics because. Yeah. That shit can take you places. Yeah. Like, obviously, it would have taken me somewhere if I was uh, on an empty stomach. But, yeah. You know. And it's one of those things where I say, it, it rewires you at the end of the day after that that whole experience. Like, it rewires who mm-hmm. you are, you know. Yeah. That- oh, yeah. I didn't really sleep last night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't really sleep last night. Woke up, got a haircut. Uh Went home, showered, and went to my client's grand opening. You know, she just opened up a studio in Roseville, and now I'm here. Mm-hmm. And prior to all that, I didn't even have coffee, no caffeine whatsoever. So that's why yeah. I was like, "All right, I got, I, I got to go to the gas station." Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, it's the, the the thing too is like um, understanding. There's all types of different like degrees and levels, right? Um, prime out uh, example with like alcohol. Alcohol is like a bullhorn for the ego, right? You notice that when people drink, then all of a sudden it's like the uh, the inner the inner um, adolescent in you just kind of comes out. Yep. So you know if you're a very loving kind of person, you become like really huggy and everything. If you're a very angry, bitter person, then that shit comes out. Or you know if you're that person that just wants to get like all the attention, you know you're standing on top of the fucking table with your pants off and stuff, and people are trying to like you know rein you in. Um, when it comes down to psychedelics and um, edibles too, because your body metabolizes them in a similar way. Um, it's really interesting because of like um, rock. You said uh, very, very, very um, key point, which is it rewires you. And what typically happens is in that particular case, it's kind of like uh, sort of like in uh, the first Matrix movie when Neo uh, takes the um, the red pill and he looks at the mirror and he sees that the mirror is cracked, and then all of a sudden it starts to all. Um, come together and repair itself 
And that's kind of the, the, the same way, you know, whenever um, you start dabbling in like psychedelics, um, you get to a point where everything becomes very, very focused and very clear. And that's either one or two things. It'll either um, give you perspective or it'll scare the shit out of you. Because, you know, you might have been living a very deluded life for a super long time. And then all of a sudden one day you go ahead and you decide to go down the rabbit hole. And you're like, oh, wow, I've I've been a fucking asshole for like all these years. Yeah. Or I've left nothing but, you know, a trail of um, pain and tears. Or I'm going through all the stuff that I never fixed. You know, again, like, you know, you're trying to shave with a broken mirror. And you, you just, it's normal to you to like be cutting your face up to shit. But one day you finally see a clear mirror that's like polished and you go and you like look at yourself and you're like, damn, you know, all these spots I missed and like all like, you know, I got scars and like scabs and everything. And, and then you do one of two things, either you freak out and regret and then you kind of beat yourself up and then that just makes the trip even worse. Or you sort of go like, oh, okay. And you reset. And, um, you know, much the same way that, like I've talked about, um, in, um, using like martial arts as a, as an example of, of that too, or even in dance where you might get to a point where you're so lost in the movement of what you're doing. And then all you do is you stop, you know, you stomp your, your feet, you do like one hand clap and you reset. And now boom, you go into like a swirl or a skate you know, you, you might've been doing something that was a little bit too articulate and a little bit too crazy. And then all of a sudden, finally you just like, wait, whew, okay. Reset. And yeah, psychedelics are, are like that too, where they, they just, they, they really put the, um, the mirror, like the well-polished mirror up to you. And then the question is, you know, um, you know, where do you want to go with that? Yeah. And some people are like, yo, I want to go back to La La Land and just be, the same person that I was. And then there's other people who are like, yo, I can't go back. It's like the minute that you see that truth, the minute that you get that perspective, you're like, okay, I guess this is where I'm going to go now. Right. You know, I need to fix whatever's uh, broken or I need to work on myself or I need to be a more loving, compassionate person, or I need to stand up for myself yeah. or be more courageous or what have you. So yeah, man, it's just like, um, you know, treading softly, but at the same time, going in with like kind of a heart and a head of courage or like, you know, um, paramount for that. Otherwise, you know, look at all the people that go out and, um, they'll go into like the club life and they'll be like tripping balls on a myriad of things. And they just want the, they just want the stimuli, but you know, you're going to the mountain for a very specific reason. Yeah. You know, you're going there for knowledge and perspective. And it's like, and then once you come back down to sea level, once you, once you finally uh, sober up, it's like now you've got all of that stuff with you and you go, how am I going to apply this? And some people, they're scared to do that. And other people go, oh, no, I, that actually that night, you know, being, you know, in that in that club with all those people rolling balls, but like dancing my heart out. Somehow, maybe I became more empathetic and connected with people and with an environment or music or myself even. I mean, I've even seen people that would just like flat out have like a moment of catharsis where they'd be like sitting on the dance floor, just kind of like looking at their hands for like 30, 40, 50 minutes. And people are just going like, yo, what the fuck? And they're trying to get you, hey man, come on, jump up and down and all that stuff. And the person's just like, nah, man, I'm just, I'm just absorbing what's going on right now. I'm just like, I'm feeling the current all around me. Mm -hmm. 
and then you know you you take whatever corrective measures you need to take you know the the wiring has become repaired now you say like okay now how how do i heal you know so yeah man it's it it's um i think it's an important thing to really keep in mind i mean and you know like rock you know you're you're out in um uh switzerland for a great uh uh, deal of time um and of course you know a lot of people that go over to europe the you know you go to amsterdam and yep. other places and you're just like wow this shit's just like as regular as going up you know up to the corner store to buy like a pack of cigarettes right. and it's like but at the same time you know yeah it's like there's there's like very clear protocol of like how you do this you're like okay this is not a good idea to like just you know eat half a bag and then be by myself in my hotel room you know, unless like you really know what you're doing, like you're exactly. an experienced psychonaut, and then you say, "Okay, yeah, I'm, dude, I'm going deep this fucking weekend," you know, and just don't call me. I'm just, I'm just gonna just get my shit, you know, ironed out. And then there's like other times where people are like, "Yo, I want to do this," and then I want to go to the Van Gogh Museum. Right. <laughs> you know, I want to do this, and then I want to go to Summer Dance Forever, and yeah. you know, and shit like that. So that's that's dope though. That's dope that uh, that you decided to go ahead and partake and get a little bit of perspective because even like microdosing is still it's got all kinds of like you know various uh, mental health benefits that people underestimate so yeah you know in the world of commercial real estate everyone microdoses Mm -hmm. actually a lot of people just do drugs period Mm -hmm. in the world of commercial real estate it's just like if you're working at like big tech they they do that too yeah you know like it's just something that helps helps people focus you know just gets people gets people on the grind Mm -hmm. unfortunately shrooms is illegal in in the netherlands Mm -hmm. they just Mm -hmm. do truffles uh, which is like very similar, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really get you out outer space or anything no. like mm-hmm. that. What about um, LSD? Is that is that legal in the Netherlands or no? I don't know. No, okay. no, only Portugal. Only Portugal. Yeah. Okay, it's legal in Portugal. Yeah, they oh, decriminalized wow. like pretty much everything. Yeah, in Portugal. Yeah, that's surprising. Which surprisingly enough, usage went down amongst all age groups. Mm-hmm. Crime went down, and yeah, you're seeing actually people enjoying it responsibly yeah. yeah that's awesome i actually want to give it a try mm-hmm. you know like um you know like a lot of my buddies they they're all about psychedelics mm-hmm. you know and it's just the the benefits behind it you know and a lot of these guys get so much clarity out of it and just like mm-hmm. what turnstile was you know talking about is so i'd like to give it a try i'm like it's i'm now open to it before i used to be a little scared because you know i had a dark i had like a, a dark mindset, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I put myself in dark places mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have done that for like the past, you know, ever since I could recall even thinking about that. But but now it's just more like, you know, um, I'll just deal with it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you you have to like also think think and consider that it's like it's like doing anything else, right? Like you can go on a roller coaster and be terrified of it because you're like, A, I hate heights. B, I hate not being in control. C, I hate, you know, the speed. I hate the G-force and all that stuff. And you resist and it just, it's a very uncomfortable, difficult experience. You know, what if I throw up? What if I go upside down, you know, and like do like a loop or something? You know, I'm going to freak out and stuff, right? People panic. And then you get other people who go, okay, well, I, I know... You know, there's going to be like, uh, like, uh, what's his name? Um, 
uh, stand-up comedian Bill Hicks said, you know, he was talking about life in general, but he was kind of saying that it's a lot like a roller coaster. You know, there's thrills, there's spills, there's chills, but remember, it's only a ride. And once people get into that mindset, then when they do end up partaking in something, instead of resisting the experience, you just accept it. And you go, this is where I'm at right now. So why not make the most of it? And then that's when, you know. And I think that's when people end up in a bad trip mm-hmm. when you're, you're fighting that resistance. Mm-hmm. And you're assuming like, oh, crap, I'm stuck on this train mm-hmm. all day. But it's like, no, at the end of the day, you are going to calm down. You did consume something. But now, right. I think a lot of people who end up in a bad trip get stuck in this grunt of like, right. crap, yeah. am I going to be like this for the rest of my life? And it's like, no. Nah, it's, it's tough. Um, I mean, it's like edibles. I can't really do. I don't really like doing edibles because it does put me in that state of mind where I'm just like, fuck, dude, I need to get over this shit. You know, mm-hmm. it's like being drunk. So, um, yeah, it's just, I don't enjoy it. I know a lot of people do. Uh, a lot of people do enjoy what edibles do. And for me, it's just like, I just feel like I'm floating around. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see any benefit from it at all. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really feel relaxed. Uh, you know, like, sure, I'm floating around, but my mind is still racing. Like, I I just don't like doing it, period. But anyways, what's your experience with psychedelics? It's been beautiful. Gave me a whole... I. I credit a lot to who I am today to psychedelics and some of the experiences I had because it's one of the things that taught me about having a proper tribe around you. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I tried it out, the person who gave it to me was very, very specific in being like, hey, make sure you do this. If you're going to do this with people, make sure you're comfortable and the people who you trust. So mm-hmm. analyze the people. And I'm glad I listened to that because yeah. Oh, yeah. I finally found a tribe of people who were accepting of who I was and helping me out. Mm -hmm. So through my first experience of that is when I started getting this perspective of, hey, having a strong community is Mm -hmm. really, really important, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And whether it's one person or two people or even a whole group of people, but it's good to identify and find those people from it. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I remember my second, second time I tried it out, was I had you said something about like sitting there and looking at your hands and you're like in the zone and mm-hmm. I remember on that trip is when I was like I need to pay attention to my body because I just caught myself in the grant of just looking at my hands for like 20 minutes and just kind of mm-hmm. going in the mirror and looking at my eyes and like you know everything is all well, swirly. Was it pretty colorful for you yeah yeah mm-hmm. lots of color yeah a lot of color yeah. and I want to say I was seeing my aura and other people's aura at that time mm-hmm. but I remember also at that moment I was like huh, I don't think I've ever really looked at myself, like really, really looked at myself and really started paying attention to my health from Mm -hmm. that point and realizing what really matters for me, you know, at the end of the day. So I'd have to say, like, if anybody's listening to this right now, thinking about doing it the first time, like... Make sure you're around the right people. And Ozzy, it sounds like you got the right people around. Oh, yeah. Last night, I was just like, you know, granted, we all had wine in us, but I was, I really meant it. You know, it's, it's a guy and a girl, and we're, the three of us are really good friends. And I said, hey, I would not, I would, I would not want to do this with anyone in the world right now except for you guys right here. There you go. Because the three of us have talked about it. Mm-hmm. They've told me their experiences, and they didn't pressure me into doing it. They're just like, mm-hmm. hey, yeah. if you want to do it, just go for it. So, because, you know, I wasn't getting 
the right kick or for me i wasn't getting what i really wanted because I, I was just like let's just go let's i'm ready to let it all come at me let's mm-hmm. go i'm ready for this i ended up microdosing as well because mm-hmm. i'm like okay i ate like three stems three heads give me that pill <laughs> like, <laughs> let's add on right now and because because of that, i was just wired through the night like the colors i was watching tv and the colors were vibrant as fuck and the sound was like intense but again it was i would just be coming in and out and part of me still feels like it's in me right now where i'm just mm-hmm. like all right yeah yep. like this sound is fucking intense <laughs> you know and you mentioned earlier about like saying like you didn't try a while ago because you were in a dark place which you've nailed another part where I'm glad you're listening to yourself and understanding yourself because I also advise that only do it if you can stay out of your head. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. don't yeah. don't allow yourself to go in that dark right, place. Or, right, like mm-hmm. you, you have to go into it with with positive expectations. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like regardless, yeah, don't get me wrong. You're probably still you're going to think of it, but then you have to psych yourself. You have to psych yourself out. Or at least this is what I personally. This is what I did. Is yes, last night I was psyching myself out. I was thinking of all the dark shit, but at the same time, like, ah, fuck that. Right. You know, like, I was telling myself mentally right away, like, dark shit, like, okay, there's going to be shadows that appear. Fuck Mm -hmm. that. Like, I'm going to see some beautiful colors. Mm -hmm. Like, I would switch it up right away mentally. It was like I was having, like, a battle in my mind. It was was pretty fun. (laughs) You know, it's, it's the same kind of feeling, like, mentally and, I mean, dare I say spiritually, as what you would get from, um, say you're about to go weight train, right? And a couple days before you tweaked your back, you know, and you're like, okay, well, I don't want to be lazy today. I, I need to work out, but also my back doesn't feel right. So what you do is like you, you know your body well enough to say, okay, today I'm not doing deadlifts. Today I'm not doing anything like that's going to load my spine. So no squats, no... I'm not going to do any meathead shit. Today, I'm going to do stretching. I'm going to do movement. I'm going to do maybe a couple of kettlebells. I'm going to do some stuff with a resistance band. Then I'm going to go sauna, right? And that's kind of the same relationship that you need to have with anything. Any any type of like um, external uh, chemical that's being used to elicit like a, a certain feeling. Um, a lot of times like people will... Um, and this is this is like what they talk about with addiction, where you do things in spite of consequence habitually, that's considered addiction. So you go, okay, well, I really want to drink because I like, you know, letting loose and everything. But every time I drink, I black out and then all of a sudden I wake up and I'm in the back of a squad car and some poor girl at the club's nose is broken and that was my fault. And, you know, I... My, my buddy's got to bail me out or whatever that that's a consequence so you have to like weigh out and you go okay am i ready or am i capable of drinking right now should i do this and you know if you find all every every possible like reason tells you no then you don't do it and the same thing happens with psychedelics where people will say like oh i'm really terrified of what i might find out and that's kind of like you know you've got that tweak in your back and you go all right so maybe i shouldn't lift heavy Maybe I need to do something lighter, more tame, or maybe I should go in with like, like you were saying, like you were actually, um, you were setting your purpose or your intention 
And they talk about that all the time. Set and setting are always really important. So you didn't do this right after a really like bad situation just happened to you and um, you were out at some random party and it's a bunch of people that you don't know. No, you, you took time and you were with people that you know and trust. You were in a environment where you had like somewhat control to be able to say like, okay, well, you know, I don't have to worry about like wandering out into traffic or anything hazardous happening. And I got people that can look out for me and stuff. And that stuff is like super important. I mean, and that just goes in general with like what we do, like, um, when it comes down to like house music and house dancing as well. Um, people, they really underestimate the fact that like when you go to the club, you're kind of like, you're relinquishing a certain amount of control at the expense of like whoever's setting up the party, right? Like they're going to be in charge of your mood in a, in a certain way. They're going to kind of set the bar for you. So you could be in a real bad place and you go like, you know what? Actually, I don't think that I really want to go out dancing tonight. I feel like I'm going to be in such a shitty mood that it's going to spread to other people. They're going to be sensitive to it and it's going to kind of ruin everyone else's time. And then there's other times where you say, you know what? No, this is what I really need. So I need to, I need to go out here and just, you know, let go and let God, as they say. And, um, the same thing happens with, you know, various, uh, chemicals that we use. Um, you know, they, they have neurological effects. They do things to help to, um, increase your, um, your mood and your perspective on things. But at the same time, again, you know, if you have like any muscle imbalance and you go, all right, well, you know, I put like three wheels aside on this and I'm going to fucking go for it and just try to, you know, do this deadlift spiritually. It's just like, (laughs) okay, well, um, yeah, just be prepared. Just be (laughs) absolutely and totally prepared for what you're going to see or what you're going to experience or whatever insights you're going to get. And yeah, man, it's, it's crazy though. Cause you know, we, um, when, when we do things like that, people want to like do something for the purpose of escaping. And then there's other people that understand, you're not trying to get away from your problems. You're actually trying to go to your problems. You're trying to get to the the core, the root of it. Hence, that's why these are considered like plant medicines as opposed to just recreational drugs. And that's a big mistake that people make, you know, when they go out and they, um, I mean, you know, we all know from like the, uh, the, the rave scene, um, all throughout like the, the nineties, um, you know, there were all these kids that were just eat up. And, it, and the music wasn't even good. And they were just like, but they were so, you know, um, rolled out of their gills that they didn't care. You know, they just needed that that whole environment and it was cool and it was fashionable and stuff. And then you had other people that have gone out to the right club, the right environment, the right music, the right setting. And people are like, yo, man, you, you like, how much did you take? And you're like, I didn't take shit. I'm, I'm totally in this and I didn't even fucking roll tonight. And you're, but you were just connected, you know, you, you felt the, uh, the wave and you were able to like, you know, um, blend yourself with that energy. And then there's other times where it's like you go out there and you use that and it actually enhances what already is a great experience, yeah. you know, as opposed to something that's just going to kind of get you by. Cause like, if you didn't have that shit with you, you'd be like, yeah, the DJ sucks. The lights suck. The environment feels stale. The people around here are all dickheads. I mean, this is just, mm-hmm. this is whack, you know? And I think that, like, those those types of elements are super important to be able to use 
much like you would use like fire or a cutting tool or a hammer, right? You know, they can be very dangerous if you don't know what you're doing, but they can be super useful if you're, you know, adept at them. You say, oh, yeah, great, I can cook my food, I can keep myself warm, I can keep, you know, predators away, all that kind of good stuff. Or, you know, you just burn the shit out of yourself because you have no idea. You totally underestimated the power of fire. You didn't know what it was capable of. You don't know how to heal yourself afterwards. And that's where a lot of people run into problems. That's why you were saying, like Rock was saying, you know, having the right kinds of people around you, set and setting, um, people that are going to be able to have experience too. So as opposed to like, you know, being like, I've never seen anybody like this before, so I don't know what to do. You know, that shit can be very dangerous. So, yeah, man, it's it's, it's dope that you um, that you understood that and you know yourself well enough. I mean, and you've always been a very um, a very self actualized kind of person, Ozzy. Where you would just you would know if you were like, oh, yep, I'm I'm going to go into this competition, or nah, I'm, I'm not feeling it. You know, and um, I think that you you apply that to like every aspect of your life, where it's like you know you do things when you want to do them. And if you don't feel the pull, the the gravitational pull towards it, you're like, Meh. no, I'm just going to sit back here with my beer, just sit in the corner and just chill, watch all the chads get down, you know. So that's how it's been a lot lately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rock, tell us a little bit about your your dance career. Yeah, your, your dance journey. Oh, okay. Where do we start? Well, I guess everything actually kind of starts with you, Ozzy. Right. You, Minnesota Joe, and Stepchild, and Johnny Craze. Oh, wow. Well. Because I actually remember back in the MCAD days, mm. when session used to happen at MCAD. Mm. Like 04, 05? Yeah, on I think Friday nights, was it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Slim and all those dudes. They might have been And Saturday Rello. Nights. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, a while back, a while back. Well, I'm actually honestly glad I read, like met y'all, because you, all of you guys were... Obviously, you guys have helped the scene grow, but I remember my first impression was like, ah, they're not as aggressive as they appear dancing. They're actually like really <laughs> nice people, you know? Like, oh, yeah, man. And like everybody was like very helpful with like whether giving advice or tips or like letting me know of jams. Because this was like, well, early MySpace days, but it was still mm-hmm. like, hey, dude, right. you need to hang on to phone numbers and you need yeah. to. You need to know the right people, you know. And network a lot. <laughs> yeah. Can you guys memorize phone numbers like you did back then? Not anymore. There's yeah. so much information overload oh now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just I, I thought about that. I was like, if my locker ever got busted into when I was working out and someone got my phone and my keys, yeah. I literally would just be stuck. Right. Like, right. Like I've got like no idea, so yeah, right. that's something that I'm yeah. like, all right, I, I gotta, I gotta make a promise to myself to memorize five essential numbers, that's, like yeah, five right. of my closest yeah. people that I know a thousand percent I can rely on. Yeah, so hundred percent. Sorry, so. didn't mean to jump no. on that. <laughs> <laughs> Making me just think back of being having a whole booklet of phone numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that used to be the, to be like, the, look at all these numbers I got. I'm the motherfucking shit. You yeah, know? I know. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's like you know. Now I'm like, dude, fuck this number. It's like, I don't want half of these on my yeah, phone. Yeah. <laughs> now it's all about like, fuck, do I really want all these Facebook friends? Right, right. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then from, so that was like, what was it? Like, maybe 2006, not even 2006, even before that. Probably like 04, yep. 05. Yep. Around so that. So from that was just been strictly sticking with breakdancing and mm-hmm. 
not breakdancing. That's very offensive. B-boy, breaking. <laughs> no, don't be sad. I don't really give a shit, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the physical act of it is breaking. It, it's, it's, like, it's funny because like, when they say B-boying, that was always like a weird oxymoron for me in my personal opinion because it's like what you are is a B-boy or B-girl, yeah. right? Yeah. What you do is you are breaking the actual physical yeah. dance because if you're saying b-boying that's like it's it's like the whole like the whole gamut of it like yeah. everything so you're like i love the way that you b-boy that that could be how you're just rocking your yeah your, exactly your, your, like your all how you're walking and, and and all that shit so so yeah so i mean it's it's kind of funny how like that has that weird subjective thing coming around one minute everyone's like yo no it's not called breakdancing it's called b-boy and i'm like but five years earlier you were calling it breakdancing like everybody else and this is like and then now 25 years later it's like people are going like why does it have to be b-boying or b-girling you know why 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 does it have to be gender specific so it's just like i always felt like that the easiest thing to say is just breaking yeah like the the actual you do a windmill, you're fucking breaking. Yep. You know, that's it. I love saying the same shitting. Like you know, in house, in my house class, I'll teach a few moves that are breaking influence. Mm-hmm. So I'll even say like I actually enjoy saying this because uh, to show people that I don't give a fuck. I'm like, yeah, this is as you know, I have a b boy breaking breakdance background. I don't really give a shit. Mm-hmm. I'm not politically correct when it comes down to it. I don't mm-hmm. really care what you call it. But I have this background. Yeah. And I'm going to teach you guys a little snippet from this background of mine. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have some B-girls that call it B-boying. Yeah. Venetia mm-hmm. from Venus Flytrap. Mm-hmm. She calls it B-boying. And I remember asking her, like, why do you call it B-boying? She's like, because that's what it is. Because that's what it came, that's what it started with and stuff. And that's how I learned. So I think in a nutshell, it's really who you learn from, mm-hmm. when you learn, when you started. And are you willing to really give a fuck? Right. right. You know, like, and I, I, to me, I respect the people that just don't give a fuck. They're like, dude, this is what I've called it for the past 20 plus years of my life. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to change it because you're offended. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not really, it's not really hurt. It's, how is this hurting your feelings? Mm-hmm. Right. There's way more other things out there that people say that is very offensive. Yeah. Like, this is fucking dance. <laughs> It's like, like, chill out. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, it's like, you know what the fuck I meant. Yeah, you know what I fucking meant. It's like, you know what? You need to take some psychedelics <laughs> and, 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 and get rewired. Right. But anyways, go ahead. Yeah. So for that, just mainly battling. Don't really do any choreography or done a few classes, but been mainly battling since then up until like maybe I'd say strongly battling until about 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And then once I kind of made the move to Switzerland, was showed up with a few jams, battled a little bit, but most of them were mostly spectating. Yeah, you know, life kind of just takes a turn and mm-hmm. find different things to just take your energy away and time management and stuff. And what was the that prompted you um, to go to Switzerland? One of the things was just life in mm-hmm. general. To be a little bit vague, but just. Wanting something different. And okay, sure. The opportunity came up, and then the whole setup of the whole program was you're going to go study for six months, and then six months you're going to do an internship Okay, for about four years. Mm-hmm. And the internship could be anywhere mm-hmm. in the world. So that also, I was like, oh, snap. So I can study and travel the world at the same time? Yeah. And my main thing was also just getting perspective on everything, and mm-hmm. that's what really drove me out Oh, yeah. There. Where were you born and raised? Uh, everywhere. 
Yeah. Planet Earth, I yeah. like to say. Yeah, citizen, <laughs> citizen of the world. Yeah. No, originally born in Kenya. Okay. And then, like, we moved over here to the States when I was about, like, nine years old, ten years old. Mm-hmm. And from there, it's just been a whole lot of back and forth between... USA, Kenya, mm-hmm. and Europe. I have a lot of clients. A lot of my clients are from Kenya. Okay. It's fucking awesome, dude. Yeah. <laughs> they're, all, they're all fun. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, yeah, they're great. They're great. They lift up my spirits like on a daily especially when I, one of my clients, his name is Rashid. Every time I talk to him, he's like he just gets me like amped up. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, Fucking find me some properties, I'm ready to invest. I'm like, All right, let's go. <laughs> let's go, dude. <laughs> So, no, that's awesome. But they trick you with their timing. Are they on time? Maybe five minutes late. Five, five minutes late. But they're, okay, but they're, they're very. <laughs> but like you know, like my clients are very like. Let's get it done. They're. It's an old school country way where like, you like what I have. Okay, sit down. Let's talk about it, and I'll give you. I'll sell you what I have. Mm-hmm. You know, like in commercial real estate, it's like you know, there, it takes a week to two weeks because you got to go through paperwork, laws, and everything like that. But they're like old school. Like, let's handshake it out. I'll pay me what you pay me, and then let's go. Right. Like, that's how. That's what they were telling me. Like, yeah, back in Kenya, this is how we do it. I'm like, I like that. I'd rather have it like that because it means I get paid faster. <laughs> so, and they're just like you know, zoning laws. What yeah, the fuck is like, that what shit? What the fuck is that? I know. <laughs> you know? I know. I know. I know. Like, yeah, do you yeah. want money or not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, really? But, like, um, but yeah, man, it's... Um, uh, what's When you came over to um, uh, the U.S., and specifically Minnesota, um, did you mainly stay in the West Metro? Were you, like, in the, um, like, Brooklyn Park area? So, or, like, were you in the South Metro? Or... Like what, what? What kind of uh, what? What part of the Twin Cities were you usually in? Well, I first ended up in actually Brooklyn Center. Okay, this was when the Brookdale Mall was still popping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really cool spot. Mm-hmm. And it was cool because at first I was like, "Wow, oh, it's very diverse," you know. But then eight months later, my parents actually ended up moving way out in the boonies, like Anoka Ramsey area. Oh, wow. and, okay, yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Just a sea of white yeah. people. I know, but I'm not gonna lie. Like it's, it was the first time I've ever been like conscious of oh shit, I'm black. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah, because in in Brooklyn Center, I, fuck, I didn't think about it. Right in Kenya, I didn't think about it. But right. then ended up in an Oka Ramsey in a school where we were only three black kids. Uh-huh. And the other black kid I knew, I knew him from Brooklyn Center too, because they ended up moving at the same time. Okay, and it was just. It was an interesting moment. Yeah. Of where I was like, oh, so this is America. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> you know? And how was your experience out there in uh, the Anoka area for as far as like school and coming up? In general, it was good. I think at the time I shielded myself, but actually, like, I ended up opening my yearbook, my middle school yearbook, and seeing some of the comments. I was like, oh, crap. How the hell did I not catch that when they wrote it down? You know, some really, really offensive, oh, like wow. extremely offensive shit. Like, okay. but in general, I think I found the right tribe, but mm-hmm. I was found good people. But I'm, also reflecting back as well, I didn't spend much time in the Noka Ramsey area, and that's how okay. I found myself ending up in MCAD. You know, most okay. of the time, I'd be anything that was happening was. Out of that area, so so you like gravitated back to the cities whenever you could, pretty much. Yeah, that's that's like the the byproduct of like any of us who've 
lived in the cities and then like went out to the boonies was that you always like coveted the weekend you were like all right you know friday night you know it was like your ass was right back in your old neighborhoods all your stomping grounds linking up with all your people and going out and getting all these adventures i mean i um you know that it's it, it's it's different it's it's a different experience when you go from like being in um a neighborhood like you were saying that's like so diverse and then and you know music is different and not and not just not just like one style of music but everybody has different tastes yeah. so you know you could be kicking it with you know a black kid who's got a mohawk and listens to nothing but um you know 80s hardcore um uh, punk and then all of a sudden you know you got this white kid who knows more about de la soul than people who actually like grew up like a block away from you know uh uh, the uh, like the the whole crew and shit out there in New York, and then you meet you know a Latino kid who is like yo like none of you kids are like aware of like the cumbia music that I listen to and just this is just my shit you know and it's like and what's so cool about that is that melting pot you know where it's like if you get around like the right kinds of people you get to have these exchanges you keep a real open mind and you start to pick up on different types of vibes that everybody has. And then when you go to places that are very like homogenous, um, it's kind of interesting because you see uh, in that in that isolation, there, it's like a blessing and a curse, right? It's like on the one side you stand out and you're very interesting, yep. for good or bad. Um, the downside about it too is that everything that you do, you stand out. Yep. Mm-hmm. So so it's like you you have to kind of like really tread. Um, softly in certain ways, but at the same time, you also have to be brave and courageous enough to assert yourself because, um, you know, I mean, I, I knew from the small town that I went to uh, part of middle school and all of high school in, um, I, I used to just like point out the hypocrisy. You know, I was like, I would sit there and I'd be like looking at some of these kids who had really, really, really specific ideas about how they thought of, uh, case in point, like black people. And I'm like, okay, you have this distaste for black people, but yet you emulate everything in black culture. Right. right. It's just like that, that doesn't compute, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, and you're full of shit. You're a hypocrite. So why don't you go back to listening to whatever is like, you know, the your inherent you know music and your inherent culture and just like leave it alone or if you're going to go that way you better go full tilt you better be like completely on some like okay man i want to learn everything there possibly is to know and i want to you know keep that uh that real like open mind i love the people too right because (laughs) you know again it's just like how how are you going to have like this um this prejudice in anything and then be like, you know, yeah, I fucking loathe these people, but the music's good. Or, yeah, oh yeah. man, these people—they're—they're they're a curse, they're a plague, you know. But their food is really good. It doesn't it's, make any sense. It doesn't make any all. sense, yeah. you know. And it's just like, it, and it's like, what you got to do is you got to like forego all of the, um, um, the the notions about generalization and just go, okay, it wasn't, you know, a um, Somali person that uh, cut me off. And damn near got me in a car accident, and now it's like the entire like Somali people are the right. ones that I've got a grievance with. It was like, no, that motherfucker did not look both ways, and right. he almost hit me. 
Right. So fuck him. It could have been any you know, any type of ethnicity. Right. And, like, and, I would have yeah. still cussed this motherfucker out. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, and it's stupid because it's like when you go up there too, especially if it's a place where it's mostly going to be like one type of people. Um, people think that there's like they have this this um, this misunderstanding. They think that it like up there or anywhere, it's like all like uh, some sort of um, uh, like a utopia. And then all of a sudden, here comes the scourge from the cities. Here comes these these kids of color, or these kids, or this, or this and that. And it's just like you know what? If if you just remove all of that, you're still going to have the same archetypes. You're still going to have the same bullies. Okay. You're going to have the misfits. You're going to have um, the popular people. You're going to have the shitty people. Yeah. All that stuff still exists. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's a little bit easier when you can pinpoint something from a distance and say, "Ha, you know, that's the one kid who's wearing you know eyeliner and you know rocking." you know, goth shit. So let's go ahead and single them out because they're, they're right there and it's, it's easy and it's identifiable. And I'm like, you know, all that tribalism, it, it just, it's, you're, you're just polishing the brass of the Titanic at the end of the day, when you get into like those types of mindsets. And I was raised and continue to think of, um, you know, the fact that like, if you don't know something, you got to go into like the most, you know, uncharted territory yeah. and go, yo, I'm going to stay here in this like uncomfortable situation until I become completely acclimated to it. And then you get to come back. And again, you know, much like psychedelics, you go to that place, you go to the mountain. And when you come back down, it's like, you bring that perspective with you. You're like, yo, I went to this one thing and I met all these people and yo, I'm, I was completely fucking wrong about X, Y, and Z. And everyone's just like, what? And it's just like, Hmm, maybe I'll give it a try. And you're like, fuck yeah, let's go. You know, yo, these are these are these are my people. You know, I I met them out there. You know, here, let's go. And then it's just like, and then you 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 build. And I mean, that's like the whole point of like community building. But you know, other times people want to just like play into their comfort zones and shit. And yeah. they say, you know, oh, I just want to stay up here. And whether it's like a Noka or you want to stay in the heart of the cities on your block, and you know, you're a king. You know, in a three block radius. Right. But once you go out to where like nobody knows you, no one gives a shit. You got to bring something yeah. to the table, and if you're not like you know smart and empathic and uh, nice, but also like assertive, it's like there's going to be people that are out there that they're just going to chew you up and spit out the seeds, you know. So, sorry, that was a big tangent there. <laughs> and unfortunately, so this just society, but also like how you say it with like how you're going to listen to the music but not like the people behind it is right. something that I've seen a lot with. Uh, international community uh-huh. especially being out like in Europe and t- throughout Asia it's like you see people like really rocking like American black culture stuff but mm-hmm. they don't want anything to do with black people you know right it's <laughs> well right. right like um, but that it's it was, it's been called out throughout 2020 it's like you love black culture but you don't love black people mm-hmm. like that's some powerful shit right you know like and I only hope that that made people really check themselves, you know, check themselves, mm-hmm. really. Like, do I really love black people? Like, right. Do I love black people? You know, and it's like, me, uh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, Filipino, man, close enough. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we came from Africa. <laughs> no, but uh, no, seriously, though, like, it's uh, it's definitely something to really think about. Mm-hmm. You know, you love this culture, you love black culture, but do you love the people? Do you generally I, care for the people? Do you care for humans? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's something you really got to, people really need to think about. So, And, you know, the, the world is like a, 
the world is a very difficult place to begin with. Just think about how shitty it would be to not have something as beautiful as blues or jazz or R&B or rock and roll. Just a lot of shit. You know, yeah. A lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's like, what if like all we had to choose from was, you know, Bach and Beethoven? It's like, in, in, in their own respective ways, they're, they're dope. But it's like, but there's something to be said about, um, and, and this kind of makes, this goes back to like, you know, what they talked about um, with the early um, uh, uh, colony days where people would go off the range because, you know, they came over from like England or Ireland or Scotland. And then they were like so deep into the frontier that the only people they were around were natives. And they became part of um, the natives' society. They were like, hey, you know, this is Steve, and he has a cabin out here, and he hunts and he fishes, and, you know, yeah, let's, let's make him part of the tribe. He seems down. And then someone turns around and, and says, okay, well, guess what? We're expanding out now into this territory and shit. And Steve's like, no, 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 you, you got to, like, leave this alone. This, this shit's dope, you know? And they're like... No, manifest destiny. We're just going to keep pushing, and you know, we we got it. We got to do this. We have this agenda, and these people would oftentimes come back to you know cities and society, and just be like, this is just not the way. Yeah. And I think that it's not so much a physical thing. I mean, to some extent, it is. You know, like I mean, there, there's something to be said about just going out and becoming one with nature, but I also think it's like a mental state, right, where you kind of see the way that like the main population of people is like living and you're like, that's not for me. And the main thing that was so impressive when it came down to like all the, the various uh, creative endeavors and aspects um, that uh, black people have like given to the world was that this was not all coming from like one place either. It's like this all didn't come from, you know, this one region in this one like small spot of Africa. It was always constantly just like combining in different environments and situations. I mean, it's like, you know, it's so fucking dope to see something as beautiful as capoeira, you know, which is, you know, Afro-Brazilian, you know. And but it's very different from, um, you know, other um, other African arts. Yeah. And then, like, and you go to different parts of Africa and you'll see, um, you know, that, like, even uh, sounds and rhythms will be very, very, um, some places are, like, very, like, four in the floor kinds of um, things. And then you go to other places where they deal with polyrhythms in, like, in just, like, a ridiculous way. And you go, whoa, this is just, this is fucking my head up right now. You know, you you listen to, like, uh, Yoruba and things like that and then you're just like, whoa. You know, this stuff is just, this is slaying me how amazing this is. You know, what's interesting, what's interesting about that with Africa, especially when it comes to the drums and the Congos, mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating that, you know, Guinea has its own rhythm, whether it's mm-hmm. a half head or a double head. Mm-hmm. Then you go to Nigeria, they have their own rhythm. Like, yep. if you were blind and you heard somebody and you were like familiar enough with the sounds that you would just hear somebody playing like, oh, that's Nigeria. Yep. Oh, that's a Kenyan. Yep. That's a South African. Like right. It's, it just always fascinates me that that whole rhythm and how we, you just say it, it just keeps on changing and it keeps on getting past. And then it, you see the evolution of like how um, something like the blues did not get invented in Africa. 
it had to go through this filter of yeah. the United States in order to find its way. And um, what's cool about that is that that can reverberate back. It, and it all of a sudden it becomes like this call and response. There's like certain parts of like Africa where in which they say, yeah, back in like the 1950s, this one musician came from the United States and played here once. And then that started a subculture here. So we, this is how we interpret, you know, this style of music, this genre. But then we put it through our filter again. So now this becomes like a, again, like another type of like hybridized system. And um, you see that like a, there was a, there was a really good documentary called um, uh, Finding Sugarman. And Finding Sugarman was about um, this, um, he was a uh, Latino uh, like Chicano um, musician who lived in Detroit, Michigan, and he was of like the same era as uh, Dennis Coffey, right? So like you know, sixties uh, into the seventies, and he was one of those those dudes that like never really made it as a musician, but his music got over to South Africa, and it, that was their Bob Dylan, and yeah, I and know who you're talking and about. that helped to actually fuel the end. Um, and the push for the end of apartheid over mm-hmm. in South Africa. And he was unaware of yeah. his impact. And then, like, there was all these, like, urban myths and, like, all this, like, stuff talking about him. Like, oh, yeah, you know, he, uh, on his last performance, he, like, he got done playing and then he put a gun in his mouth and blew his brains out on stage. And then, like, another person's like, no, no, that's not the way that happened. What, the way it happened was that he, he lit himself on fire. And other people were like, no, he OD'd, he OD'd. And then there was this guy who um, basically pieced all this information together and found out he was still alive uh-huh. and was like, dude, like, do you know how fucking big you are here in South Africa? And he's like, huh? Because at that point, he was just a day laborer. You know, he would just do odd jobs. Very much, he's like the consummate uh, Taoist philosopher, in my opinion, right? Where it's like he just so goes with the flow that he can make like amazing art effortlessly. But at the same time, he doesn't stop and say, oh, hey, I'm rich and famous and important. He just keeps just doing his thing, just living life. So he gets brought over to South Africa and then plays like, I think it was like a three-day series where they sold out the arena like three times in a row. Mm -hmm. Like every day it was like sold out. Um, And people, you know, got to look at him. And he performed and he was just like, yeah, shit, I haven't played a lot of these songs since, um, since I recorded them. And what's incredible about that is that then you started to see how um, his music was influencing other bands like uh, the band I can't remember the name of the band but they like opened for him but they were like diehard Rodriguez fans I mean diehard and they were like yeah like all of our stuff that we do is all based on like kind of the foundation of like what you did or your philosophy mixed with what we um, intrinsically have being South Africans and you know sometimes like it's it's funny when like you can even listen to certain genres of music where you're expecting to hear something literal in the music that says like oh that is definitely Jimi Hendrix influenced right but the guy um, who is playing that music might uh, be like I was thinking of Jimi Hendrix but I'm not playing like Jimi Hendrix I'm playing like me I'm just getting into that that headspace when when i do this song because you know maybe the song is like all like folky and stuff right it's just like real 
you know, it's it's there's nothing like remotely psychedelic or aggressive about it or electric, but yet he like gets into a certain mindset, and then now this like folk music is like something that goes through like that filter, and he's like you're inspired, and you know we do that with dance all the time too, where people say I have no idea where this came from, but it's incredible, and then when you kind of like look back and just kind of go through like your your history. And you just look at like different styles and dances and movements and go, okay, this, this makes sense why this looks the way that it does. You know, look where it comes from. Look who invented it. Look why they invented it. And some people are not fully conscious of it. They're just like, yo, I just wanted to dance. Yeah. But that feeling they had inside sparked a movement, yeah. you know, which got, you know, celebrated and practiced and taught around the world. And that's why it's ironic, you know, when you you go to some place like, you know, the People's Republic of China and you'll have these big jams and then you know but like a complete like disconnect from you know black culture i mean shit what was that 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 rock that rock competition that rock dance competition that was called like it was called something something gang um i for, i forgot what the name of it was but like they were on the mindset that rocking is like literally like some gang type shit and you know and and they were thinking about like the cut sleeves and yeah there's the outlaw aspect of it but that's not the only aspect of it and anybody who knows about like the history and the culture of rock dance will realize they'll be like yo there were there were like dancer dancers like people that like came in dressed to the nines you'd be rocking some like bell bottoms and like italian shoes and you know and, and like they they did a lot of freestyle and stuff and then you had the hard rocks that were out there that like if they weren't if they weren't dancing, they might be like sticking somebody up or, you know, doing some uh, some do dirt shit. And but like, you have to understand that there's like all these different nuances and various narratives and stuff. And yeah, it's like it's like people will tell you too. You know, Africa is such a ridiculously diverse place. Yeah. And people just have like this misconception. They just think that like if you go to like one part of Africa, it's all like that. No. And you're like, no, <laughs> not at all. Just the same way that you would say, well, do you have that same assessment about America? And you're like, well, isn't that the, the same? It's like, no, you go to New York, vastly different culture than if you were to go down to New Orleans. Yeah. Versus if you were to go to the Pacific Northwest, you know, to the Midwest. You're yeah. you're going to have all these different types of sensibilities and things. Some, some stuff that ties everything together, maybe language maybe you know common government or what have you but you're also going to have people that like are like yo we do not say pop i don't know what the fuck pop is what are you talking about right now you're stupid (laughs) you know and you're just like um soda you know and they're like oh yeah yeah you know same thing in africa too you know people go to africa and they just go like whoa you know i i chilled mostly on the uh the west coast i'd never been over to the uh the east coast of africa and it's just like day and night differences you know so yep but like (laughs) but like I'm kind of curious about um, this was a question that I wanted to ask you from like before because you popped back up on my on my radar with your house podcast right and I never figured you like the entire time that you were here I never figured you were in the house so was that something that you stumbled into once you went to Europe? Or was that something that you were always into, but you just never were like super vocal about it because you were just mostly focused on breaking? Because that, that that's really interesting to me. That was what I kind of found captivating. Well, yeah, pretty much. 
pretty much there with more like on breaking, but I really got into house with more on the just vibing okay. with it. And going to like house jams, which it was just a very unique setting of mm-hmm. unity, if I could put it anyway. Yeah. Like it was a warehouse party uh-huh. kind of setting, which really got me into it of just seeing how everybody was kind of moving to one accord and mm-hmm. just seeing how free people were in the actual house scene. Mm-hmm. And that's what really kind of got me into it. I would say that was like probably around like maybe 2011. Okay. Yep. So then now I'm kind of still thinking about coming and catching up with you guys for some dancing, mm-hmm. but been really more just really just enjoying what the artists have been putting out mm-hmm. on the house scene for like the last six years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are the artists that you listen to a lot? Yeah. Well, I got to give it up to my man, Moody Man. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Moody Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Legend. Chicago. Rest in peace, Frankie. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these other guys are like, kind of like, I call them underground bedroom artists. There's this mm-hmm. guy called Audio Ulysses from New York. Mm-hmm. Really, really dope. Dope, dope dude. I hope he blows up. I actually had him on my... I had him on my podcast a couple mm-hmm. couple features ago. Okay. Nice. And there's also this one French guy. I guess if you want to call it French house, I still call it our house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from your David Guetta house. Yeah. yeah. That's your pop house. I mean, it's like, yeah, commercial house is mm-hmm. yeah, what I like to call that stuff. But uh, one dude I've been really, really vibing on this stuff is, he's called Darius. I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys have heard oh, yeah. of him. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really, really vibing on, really vibing on the stuff. His his old stuff. I haven't yeah. really found any of his new stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like a lot of, um, I like a lot of uh, Darius's um, stuff as well as like uh, Fulhamore is mm-hmm. another one who's mm-hmm. of of the of the French um, scene, but. But it's kind of like it's it's like really interesting when you listen to like how it, it used to be like real easy like you'd listen to something and go oh like oh yeah that's definitely French house right. but now that line has become blurred so you like listen to something and you say well this is kind of like it's like French meets deep meets afro. you know afro and it's like but it's none of those things at the same time mm-hmm. so it's really difficult to like categorize stuff which again goes back to like when you just start calling everything house you're just like yo let's just keep it simple. Unless it's, it's his house, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right? Because also, there's also, I guess, if you want to call it German house, but they also got a really, really interesting take on the whole house vibe. Because yeah. they also got the whole like minimal house, mm-hmm. and then they got the really, really hardcore stuff. But I don't know if you guys know the another from Germany, Clapton. He always wears a mask. Really cool guy with um, is it Clapton um. With a with a C, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's a lot of remixes with very hip hop influence. Yeah, remixes. yeah, yep. Because like he'll he'll do like uh, one of my favorites that he did was um, he used the sample. It was the sample from the next episode, um, the the Dre uh, yeah track. That's one of the songs that really gets the dance floor moving. Like, yeah, it's um, a really interesting take on house. I have to say, cause yeah. It's like gangster house. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like it's like some real, some like real like West Coast. Yeah, well, like, I think that would be the best yeah. way to put it. Yeah, I mean, and it's like the same shit with like. Uh, ironically, you get that same vibe from Detroit Swindle. Oh my they're, god! And, and they're not from Detroit. They're not. I know. When yeah. I found that they're out, European. I was like, I was like, wait, y'all from Netherlands? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. And it's like because you because it's like that was always like the uh, the thing that sucked in the two thousands 
was that sort of uh, that like Swedish house mafia kind of like offshoot that started to happen. And there was like a, there was a point where it kind of seemed like that's all you ever got from like those areas. And then, but then there was like all these other like people that were coming up from the underground. They were like, nah, motherfucker, we like, that's, that's them. That's that, that's their trip. That's their program. But this is the shit that I'm into. I'm into like heavily influenced by like Detroit and heavily influenced by Chicago and heavily influenced by New York hardcore or by um, uh, stuff from the Bay Area, so you, you like you see that and you hear it and you go, "Fuck, dude, where's this guy from?" You know, or, and then all of a sudden it's just like, "Oh yeah, that person's from Europe," and yeah. you're like, "What?" And like, and they're from like the most poppy part of Europe, yeah. where you think that they're just going to be, you know, mm-hmm. doing some like, you know, EDM fist bumping type of shit. And they're like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm the guy that doesn't, I don't hang out with those guys. I sit in my bedroom and just fucking work at hammering out all this music." You know, so that way somebody hopefully in the Bay Area is going to appreciate my shit Uh because the people right outside are too busy, you know, riding on a Ferris wheel. (laughs) And it's fun. It's like that's how it's kind of ended up with Detroit Swindle. Yeah, yeah. They really do put on some. The sound they really put up some really really like can't even I call it catchy. It's cliche. It's just like they produce good stuff. Yeah. (laughs) There's definitely something, at least one song. If you've listened to Detroit Swindle, there's one song you can always like. One song from any of their albums that you'll always like have in your mind. Like, yeah. for example, as soon as you said their name, the first line that pops in my head is Alligator Shoes, check. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that's the yep. first song. That's the yeah. first line that pops into my head. Right. And then from there, I just kept on, I kept on running through my head. It's still running through my head right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, are, you con- are you well connected with any of the house dancers in Switzerland? Uh, no, not so much. Not so much with dancers, but more on artists and producers and DJs. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Let me say, I know a couple of people from Switzerland. Uh, Nalita is a really good friend, and Lorianne. Lorianne lives out here in New York right now, uh, or lives out in New York. Uh, she does shows with like with Passion Fruit, so that's oh. like Miley and Tatiana. Uh, and Nalita, she goes from like Switzerland to Paris because she's dating Fabo. Mm-hmm. Who was like um, heavy like Paris house dancer or French house dancer? So yeah, just curious. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like the 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 big dream trip would be if we all uh, jammed out to uh, those parts of Europe, hit up like uh, Switzerland, hit up the Netherlands, and just uh, go out there and just kind of see what's what and connect and vibe and you know get wild with people. So yeah, I went on a lot of Minnesota heads. Are just hitting me up constantly, specifically Squad Seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like, "Hey, are you going to Summer Dance Forever uh, next year?" I'm like, oh, "Probably." Mm-hmm. You know, I'm usually more of a, like a House Dance Forever Winter Edition kind of guy, but I'll peek my head in for Summer Dance. Why not? Mm-hmm. It's nicer weather. Um, so yeah, that's probably one thing to think about. Yeah, to consider. Yeah, um, just start saving up, I guess. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, Summer Dance Forever is a really good event. Uh, you want to network? There, that's your event right there. Yeah, you're networking with lockers, poppers, hip hop dancers, and of course, house dancers, producers, DJs, promoters, fucking celebrities. Like that's mm-hmm. that is the event. Yeah, you know, and um, theater artists. Mm-hmm. That's the event right there. In the Netherlands, I mm-hmm. recommend it. Yeah, seeing it through your lens when you're posting it on the social media was. Really interesting. It looks like you really vibed out there, and it looks like... Oh, man. I learned a lot. 
learned a lot. I learn a lot every time I go back. It's like, you know, when I go back to New York, I'd learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Netherlands is just another, it's like five, ten notches up from that. Because right. you're not just seeing U.S. or North American right. dancers. You're seeing everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, from Asian to American, African, like everyone. You're seeing everyone there. And um, it's quite humbling. Yeah, quite uh, quite the humbling experience. Now, would you, from that, like, okay, from my perspective, it's like I see, I feel like Europe's dancing is a little bit more established in sense of you actually have jams like that that are packed and crowded, like, What's your take between that and American jams? Well, one is the funding. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Europe and Asia, um, their governments or their whatever, yeah, government dictatorship, whatever, funds these events because you know it's it's commercial. It's technically commercialized, you know, and it's it's a, it's like a tourist attraction in a sense. It brings people from different countries in to spend money in their countries. It's the smartest thing ever. U.S., however, is a lot of its grassroots. And even then, the sponsorships are still semi-grassroots because sponsorships can only provide, you know, a, a certain amount, a certain budget mm-hmm. to, to give to the jam. Um, and then after that, it's community-driven from there. Yeah. Not saying that Europe isn't like that. There are jams out there that are like that. But, I mean, think about a lot of the jams that happen in Europe. It was just recently where a lot of it was just now, like, open open competition before they were all invites mm-hmm. meaning they're all showcases no. so unless you had a name in the u.s you were not going to enter a jam in europe unless you were invited mm-hmm. here it's all yeah we have invites but here it's open open rain yeah uh, so that's that's the difference i see and you know it's easier to travel over there it's not easy to get here yeah you know I and mean, there's so many restrictions here so there's a huge difference, but I will say that one event that's starting to compare to all these events, international events, that's here in North America or here in America is um, Blueprint, because mm-hmm. uh, and Houston, Texas, because yep. okay. Blueprint is becoming the jam where everybody in Southeast Asia or Africa and Europe, wherever, are now looking like, hey, that's that's a jam in the U.S. that I want to go. Right? right, that's starting to get to that international scale. Where like, okay, this is where we're going to go if we're coming to the U.S. Right. So, and it's got the 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 thing that I've noticed about like the European competitions too, um, compared to like here is it's it, it's like it's it's very like specific to the dancers. Mm-hmm. But it's not like a mega type of uh, environment, right? Like we're not going to have this in some big ass huge um, uh, auditorium for something like House. I mean, you know, granted, you know, like Juice de Booze is something that's like bigger scale. But like, you know, when it comes down to like um, the uh, the Forever series and stuff, it's like it's a little bit more. It's got a little bit more of an intimate feel, and I think that's possibly why. Um, people from Europe and Asia do find Blueprint more appealing because it's not like freestyle sessions, right? It's not like, oh, wow, we're just going to get like fucking everybody, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's like, no, this is like, this is for us, you know? So I think that kind of gives it a little bit of a a better uh, better feeling because you're going to say, you know, there's all these heavy hitters that are dancers and there might be some spectators and there might be some like... um, 
uh, uh, what are they called, like hobbyists and stuff. But it's not going to be this thing where, you know, you're sitting, you know, in a mile long line waiting to get into the venue and you're barely going to be able to move around and you... You know, if you're if you're a competitor, then you know you, you're going to have your time to shine. But it's like it seems it seems like it's. Uh, I honestly think that it's a lot more fun to be able to like go to a place where in which you can like look at the who's who and the what's what, and then if you do feel the urge to get in a cipher, you can. You're not like going like, oh, okay, well, you know, I, I came all the way out here, but only to spectate because there's no way in hell I'm going to even be able to get to the dance floor. I'm stuck in the bleachers, in the nosebleed section. So yeah, I mean, I mean, that's just my theory and my take on it. I don't know, Ozzy may agree or disagree i'm not sure yeah yeah that sounds about right um one thing i will say too in terms of like competition wise i would say competition out in europe is taken way more seriously than it is here mm-hmm. uh, u.s and the the un- most unique thing that i've heard from a lot of europeans that have come here to the u.s to compete is that a lot of them have said the same thing um throughout my years of dance where it's like americans are the best at, at competing at battling they can battle all day, but showcasing they fucking shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And but now, you know that this is that was coming from breaking, mm-hmm. and to an extent, I still feel like America still has it in the bag when it comes down to breaking battles. Mm-hmm. Uh, house battles, however, it's a different story. We're here. We're not really so much about the battle. We're so much, we're more so about the party mm-hmm. and about the ciphers and about mm-hmm. the sharing. Where in Europe, they're all about like you know they're they're more so about let's compete. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all athletes, like the whole nine and right. Yeah, so that's and it's respectable. Yeah, you know, because of that, because they treat themselves like athletes, because they come off in a professional manner. There's more opportunity. Right. <laughs> that means like. That's why a lot of funding comes into play. Right. We're not saying that Americans are not professional, but mm-hmm. I, you know, it's just the level of thinking isn't quite there. Yeah. Isn't quite like a common thing right. here in the U.S. There's still a lot to be done. Yeah. If like if and the reason to why a lot of people can't really live this lifestyle mm-hmm. can't in, in North America because. The level of thinking isn't quite there, or the right. level of maturity isn't quite there. Mm-hmm. So, and and yeah, man, it's like it's so. It's funny because like you see it on different levels as well. Like um, I always like think of the example of like where basketball was in the rest of the world compared to the U.S. with the NBA when um, you know we we had the dream team, right? We took all of our best pro athletes and there was no law that said that they couldn't play as olympic athletes and and it was just like it it was an all-star team i mean it was just ridiculous right and then that kind of sparked everybody from across the pond to say yo we need to like up our shit like a lot because i mean you know there was just like these like blowout you know games where you know we were like you know scoring like triple digits and you know somebody, somebody like uh, Croatia would barely get it, like over like fifty, you know, fifty, sixty points. And I think that like um, it's just it's 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 very relative. Like you see it, you know, where um, like yeah, there, there'll be like Europeans 
who will be like, wow, man, you, you guys, like, when it comes down to, like, house, it's like you guys can freestyle, you know? And we really like that because, like, where we're at, we're, we're learning a lot of stuff that's, like, very technical. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, but we wish you guys had more organized events or the, like, it's like, you know, there's some dancers that are like, yo, I can literally, like, have a career for, like, 15, 20 years based off of the fact that I know how to do this while well, you know other people where you go, like, so what do you do for a living? And the person's like, yeah, I actually work at a, you know, some company or a factory or this or that or whatever. And you're like, are you kidding me? You should be getting paid full time to do what you do best, like well, that, what you're known for. Well, that's why a lot of the OGs here, uh, Pioneers of House, moved to Japan yeah. or moved to Denmark or mm-hmm. whatever country it is because they can make 60,000 euros a year right. teaching dance. And you, they can do that there. Yeah. Uh, again, it comes with the mentality. It comes with the level of thinking, the maturity of, of it all, mm-hmm. the professionalism. Right. I mean, what the general way of becoming a professional dancer here is moving to Hollywood and competing with the rest of the other dancers mm-hmm. or moving to New York and finding a spot on Broadway. Broadway right. You know. Um, Which is not sustainable or... no. Yeah, I mean, personally to me, uh, a lot of people disagree with me on this. Personally to me, becoming a professional dancer is not sustainable at all, period, mm-hmm. because you get older. Yep. Uh, and depending on if you've created, well, one, if you've created uh, a high enough reputation and a respectable reputation, mm-hmm. meaning you're not an asshole, then you can ride that wave till the day you die. Right. Because that would include... Not just you dancing, because again, you can't dance forever, mm-hmm. but, uh, or dance to the caliber you were able to dance. You can't do that forever, mm-hmm. but now it can lead into you teaching seminars, maybe even getting a, applying at a university and teaching theirs, lectures, mm-hmm. or judging competitions, right. or being a commentator, which is yeah. what a lot of, a lot of OGs are doing now. They're yeah. commentating, yep. as, and which is great. Yeah. So there's possibility for that, but, Again, it's it's about the level of thinking, professionalism, the maturity. Mm-hmm. The question is, can American dancers get there? Right. It's happening, but can the whole U.S. as as like as like a street dance culture of the U.S. can mm-hmm. everyone have that same level of thinking? Right. It's going to take some work. Yeah. You know, the one thing that Americans have the best is ego. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the Olympics. Right. <laughs> It's it's a civil war. Right. It really is. <laughs> right. So I uh, me, I'm for it. I'm for yeah. the Olympics because I'm for I'm for going against my theory of you can't live a sustainable life off a of dance. I'm mm-hmm. for it because I want people to prove me wrong. Right. Because I I'm I'm no, in no position to live that lavish dance lifestyle. I'm getting mm-hmm. too old. I'm getting older now. Mm-hmm. But I want people to do it. Right. Yeah. I want people to prove me wrong. Right. And it needs to be there because it's one thing that I really do think about. A lot of times, it's just trying to figure out like the formula of making dance sustainable, and like yeah. how come, how come out of everything when it comes to athletes or art, like dancers always seem to get the shorthand of things. Where I'm like, whether it's a rapper, you got you got your fame, you know, and if it's somebody playing basketball, you got that. I mean, freaking people playing frisbee golf are making more than dancers, mm-hmm. you know. So right. because there's one, there's no product. Yeah, but I kind of had this theory maybe about a year ago where the reason I'd say the most successful dancers 
in terms of, in terms of like scene wise is the choreo scene. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that can charge two to three grand per class, you know, throughout for for like a whole weekend. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because their product is the choreo they make. Mm-hmm. So they use the same choreo, they showcase it, and be like, hey, if you want to learn this choreo that I taught fucking years ago, come to this class. It's going to be a thousand dollars for the weekend. Right. You know, like that's that's starting that starting to become like a the product of dance. Right. Right. It's like an NFT of movement. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, it's, and you know, that you, it's, it's tough because also, um, when it comes down to dance, like dance is so subjective, right? It's like, um, martial arts, at least you can, you can, you can clearly point out like, okay, this works or this doesn't work based on the effectiveness against somebody in combat. Right. Or if there's like a very specific niche, like Chinese wushu is a good example, where it's all performative. There's no, there, there's no fighting in wushu, and that's the reason why it's it's more akin to um, gymnastics and opera and figure skating than it would be boxing, right? Um, but with dance, it's like you're looking at something that's like there's no contact, um, no physical contact, so you're having to compare. Um, a person's proficiency on aesthetics, um, their relationship to music, and then you have to have like a, a judging system that is going to, you know, be um, able to like point that out. Like, okay, you know, between these two people that just competed, this person clearly won. You know, that's that's my vote. And um, and then like we are in a very unique kind of situation too because. What we mostly do, like whether I think like the actual competition side of house also stems from from breaking because house was never like inherently like a battle culture. Like, I mean, at its core, it was never like, yo, I'm I'm just going to go out to the, you know, to this, uh, you know, uh, I'm not I'm going to go out to like the sanctuary or to the loft or the gallery and just fucking burn everybody. It was like, no, you you went out there and you just danced and then. The circle would form, and then people would be watching you, and then somebody else would jump in, and then it was it's more of a, a share and an exchange. Yeah. So that makes it very difficult. Um, I think it makes it very difficult for anybody to try to like cut out some kind of a career. I mean, you know, you lo- even look at like ballet, right? Ballet came from a compilation of the best aspects of all these traditional forms of folk dances. Where they said, okay, we're going to take this and we're going to put it with this and we're going to combine that with something from Russia. And then, boom, that's, and now we're making like a curriculum that we can teach, we can bottle it, people can learn it, they can do a performance where if you call out moves, they can do that all. And like House, it's still like, it's, it's, you know, it's getting there as far as like having names and definitions and stuff. But yeah, you, you, you put, you know, 15 House dancers together in the same room and like call out like a, a pot of beret. And everybody's going to do it slightly different. They're going to have their own flavor to it. And it's like, so, you know, I know that that can also be kind of scary because you, maybe you don't want to lose the, um, uh, you don't want to lose the integrity and the feeling of the dance at the expense of marketing and like financial gain. But at the same time, you also want to be able to say, okay, well, you know, how, what what's gonna what's the future gonna be for this? Exactly, you know. So yeah. Uh, well, you probably just heard a commercial because yeah. that's what's gonna happen. I just put a commercial in there, or I'm going to. 
um, because the Zoom just died. Yeah. And now we're back on air. All right. It's good to be back. Hallelujah. One, Hello. two, three, hallelujah. Uh, anyways, where were we at? Turnstile? Um, we were talking about Europe. We were talking about dance sustainability. And um, it how it's supposed me. to grow. Yeah, how it's yeah. That, that's that. I was the the direction where you know we uh, we wanted to go versus like where it is going and things like that. And it, you know, it it kind of makes me wonder because like I one one indicator that I look at aside from the dance is the music. And um, one thing that is interesting to see is. There's so much variety as far as like music is concerned um, in specifically the genre of house, um, and I like all the different like styles and sensibilities and the different producers that are out there that bring something unique but also something familiar to the table because that that's the biggest thing for me for house in in my opinion is like the reason why house is so enjoyable is because you're seeing like a a reinterpretation of something that sort of already existed right you know it's like a it's like a revamp on disco and what was disco disco was a revamp on r&b and what was r&b you know it was a revamp of gospel and you know and 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 other genres so there's like so it's kind of like a it's like a thing where it's like you do you respect the tradition from like where, whence it came, right. but at the same time you want to reinvent it and reinterpret it. And um, for me, what I really like right now is um, I like the house producers that have the ability because of information and access to different types of things. They're able to take like something like a uh, case in point, good genre uh, to use as an example. It's French house, right? French house people were always like well i i don't even know what the fuck french house is and you know and i always say like you know a good a good starting point would be like daft punk right that's like a good like basic that's like saying michael jordan when you think of basketball like who's the best you say michael jordan but then there's like all these other players and all these other like eras and stuff but like what's interesting about like when you listen to french house um in the in the startup point of it was how how much they they loved um, disco and not conventional pop disco but like the really really deep cuts mm-hmm. right and saying yo I, I want to take that three bar loop from that really obscure Italio disco record and I want to use it but I want to put like a 4-4 kick and I want to build on that and maybe add some kind of like 80's VHS cheesy movie synth kind of uh sound Mm -hmm. to this and i just want to make this like this thing just kind of build right and that was always the shit that i i vibed off of i i like i like when you when you see for instance like a movie that would be a throwback to a different era like i love like uh when you watch um movies that take place in a certain time um where it's like okay this movie is is clearly made now but it's set in like the 1940s and it's just like, you know, if you can get like a, a vibe and a feel and a taste for the environment, then it's like you appreciate the story so much more. So that that's something that I, I really, I hope that like the dance also does the same type of thing too, you know, where it doesn't get so far away from itself that it stops looking like or feeling like house. Um, 
but at the same time, like still being progressive and innovative and coming up with new ideas and new takes and new spins on things. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure though. I mean, you know, there, there's certain dancers too, that'll, that'll agree. They'll say that like, there was kind of a weird shift that happened too from the the seventies through the eighties, but then into the nineties, like that's kind of like where house dancing really started to look like what we think of as house dancing, like kind of New York style. Yeah. The New York style. You know, whereas like, you know, prior to that, if you went to like Chicago, they weren't doing footwork like that in the 80s. They were just doing the jack. They were just jacking or they were doing like, you know, certain types of um, uh, like more, I don't want to say it it wasn't like shuffling, um, not like, not like Melbourne shuffling. I, I mean, like with their feet, they, they, they did, they did like certain foot patterns, but they weren't like stepping a lot, you know? And then of course, but then you would see. That, that kind of existed in things like juking and uh, uh, jutting and um, mm-hmm. Chicago footwork. So it's kind of interesting how you see like that type of like relevance and spontaneity that seems to exist. And then like you go to a different part of the globe and they're like, oh yeah, they're, they're doing this, but they're doing it to a different beat. And, and then sort of like now that's going to kind of like look different and stuff. And, and I wonder about that. I wonder if the music first and foremost is really going to be what helps to kind of like, that's like the, uh, that's like the sail on the ship. That's going to catch the wind to take us into like whatever direction we're going to go into, and then I wonder if like the dancing is like the people that are on the boat, right? Mm-hmm. The crew that's like you know taking this into you know new waters and stuff. So, but I think the form of it will always stay the same, mm-hmm. or the aesthetic of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a firm advocate believer in you know innovation mm-hmm. with the dance itself whether it be patterns or movements you know when mm-hmm. i teach my class i tell my all my students i'm like if you have any dance background whatsoever find something within those backgrounds find like a move or two or, or like mm-hmm. a, some sort of technique that you really enjoyed and bring that in the house mm-hmm. eventually you'll houseify it because how it'll work is when you listen to the music naturally you'll go towards that type of look. Yeah. And when you dance with a lot of house dancers, naturally, you know, it just goes back to the whole saying is you are who you hang out with. Mm -hmm. Naturally, they'll rub off on you, Mm -hmm. you know, and and the aesthetic will rub off on you. Yeah. Like, I don't try to look like anyone from New York. It just so happens that my style emulates what I've seen, what I've been Mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. And I like to say my style is kind of gravitating towards like a hybrid of New York and the European style, Mm -hmm. the European technicality approach to the house. Right. So, yeah, it's just what you, what you surround yourself with, what you feed yourself with. But I don't think the aesthetic will, will really change. I can't see it happening. Yeah. Um, there's just, it's just so well defined. Mm -hmm. It's like saying, you know, I th- maybe it'll go through phases like breaking I and mean, breaking. But there was the circus abstract style mm-hmm. um, in 2004, where everyone right. was trying to put their fucking leg over their head and do like crazy threads and wearing speed cap pumas and shit like that. Um, and then it went to brand new old school, where mm-hmm. it was all about foundation. It's the Florida flavor style, and now it's just about who are you as a person. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I think breaking right now is that it's highest form mm-hmm. possible because now it's just free reign 
Uh, the beautiful thing about house is it's always been like that. It's right. always been free reign. It's just there's always been that aesthetic, right? That'll be there. You know, like Jardy calls it houseify. Yep. You know, there's a houseifying like point to your movement. Yeah. Um, and that's you know that's case in point. I just don't think it'll switch up. I don't think I can't see it like transforming into something else. Yeah. So, I mean, and and that's why I feel like the the music is like super important for that, right? Because the music is what gives us the feeling, which provides the aesthetic, right? We're and then if all of a sudden, like, you try to dance to, say, for instance, like if if I try to dance to something that's like EDM, my house is going to look different, mm-hmm. which I don't like. Because just then I, I don't feel like I'm house dancing anymore. I feel like I'm doing something different. Kind of, you know, again, like, you know, n- not to shit on them, but, you know, like with like shuffling, right? Where you see a lot of people that are out there that are shuffling and it fits the aesthetic of that particular genre and that style and like that music and that scape. But it's like now try to do that to an at jazz track, right? Mm-hmm. Try to do that to um, uh, like, like a full more. It just doesn't look right, you know. Commercial yeah. EDM, like shuffling and everything like that, and cutting shapes. That is mm-hmm. definitely commercial EDM, but you know, soulful, grassroots underground EDM. Mm-hmm. Like that's the type of shit that we like to dance to, like at jazz. Mm-hmm. Granted, at jazz does have some commercial things, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, for the most part, he at jazz alone caters to the dancers. Yeah. Like this dude, fucking phenomenal, mm-hmm. phenomenal guy. Um, if it's one thing that I love, that I enjoy in a producer or a DJ, is when they pay attention to the dancers. Yeah, they pay attention to the music because obviously they're making it, they're playing it, but they pay attention to the dancers first and foremost. Mm-hmm. They read the crowd, they read the dancers, they you know they cater to them and. You know, just to give a shout out to DJs, local DJs and producers here that do do that in Minnesota. You know, Jeff Swift being one of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Shout out to Jeff. So shout out House to Jeff Proud. Swift and House Proud. Nice one records. Um, Tony Fuel. Mm-hmm. You know, he he gets at it too as well. You know, he, as soon as he met us, he started paying attention to dancers as well. Yeah. Uh, and, there, and there's a good there's a good number of them mm-hmm. out here. So. Yeah. And. You know, um, people like uh, uh, Joey Youngman. Um, he's he's somebody that I really really like. Um, everybody from like the Guest House label is fucking dope. Um, though they're they're not Minnesota. I'm just bringing them in though to kind of help like add to the point. But like there's um, there's like certain even like certain record labels where you know that like when you listen to that label there's like a certain vibe about the label like like in the long run right mm-hmm. where it's it's kind of like it's like motown right where you know you got the motown sound any any record that you bought that had motown on there you weren't going to hear some shit that just did not sound like it was connected right everybody was like super influenced by each other and they also shared ideas and a lot of people like cross collaborated and you know stevie wonder wrote the lyrics for that song but then the temptations sang it and then diana ross came in and decided to do backup vocals on that one part or whatever and you go yeah this is like you know you go shit anytime you see a motown uh label you'd want to go ahead and get that record 
And um, the same kind of thing happens with like certain um, producers and labels that they're affiliated with, where like once you see like a razor and tie or nervous or strictly rhythm, you're like, okay, I, I got to get this just on principle. And I know I'm going to probably like it. And um, so like a lot of the new labels too, I like because of the fact that they don't just sign anybody and everybody that does house. It's like, they kind of say like, we have a certain vibe that we want to kind of maintain. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's why we'll sign this artist and not that artist. Not that we're saying that person's not good. It's just that it like, we're trying to stay within like um, predominantly like a tech house type of feel. So everybody that we have, you know, we want to have like tech house types of uh, tracks, or we want this to be very, um, uh, very Afro, uh, Afrocentric um, uh, styles of, of house, or very jazzy styles of house. So it's like we, we want to, you know, sign those types of people. You're not just going to all of a sudden be like, you know, going through the catalog and then boom, you have like a completely different off kilter style. And then it was like, you know, the next four tracks all kind of sound like they're interrelated and, you know, connected and stuff. So, yeah, I, I like those because they also help to, like, dictate how you interpret the music. And through that, your movement will change, too. Um, whereas, you know, other other times, you know, people will say, okay, well, you know, the reason why our, our dance looks the way that it does is because, you know, this is all the music that we have. This is what we have available. And it's like we got so much more variety now that I think that that also helps to push us as dancers to do things differently. Um, I noticed that, like, when I listen to, like, CoFlow and uh, Tomahawk and people like that, um, they bring, like, a very, like, specific vibe when I start moving, like, based on their music. And then I'll listen to something that's, like, from Europe and we'll have, like, another type of an aesthetic and another type of a feel um, and then that also transfers into what I'm doing um, through dance and stuff. And so, yeah, man, I, I, I just hope that it like that it continues to grow. And I think it um, it's it's going to it's it's going to continue to progress. And um, and I, I hope that, yeah, like it, it does for the better in the long run versus like I, I one thing I really don't like is I don't like when shit gets stagnant either yeah. you know dances that get stagnant music that gets stagnant cultures and like scenes get stagnant you know and and that kind of sucks and that's when we need like you know somebody to like open up the window and like let the, the fresh air in and like something else like will come in but you don't want to like lose the heart or the or the foundation of like what it is that you also are a part of too so mm-hmm. I agree so, uh, Rock, I was kind of curious too. Um, did when you were spending your time in in Switzerland, um, what was it that you were aside from just like connecting with like producers and um, people on like the music tip? Were um, were you actually going to like dance events, or were you just going like clubbing mostly, or a little bit of both? Okay, checking out, uh, checked out, checked out a few events. Okay, yep. Yeah. And I wouldn't really call it club uh, clubbing. It was more specific mm-hmm. clubbing. So it's like if an artist is performing, okay, I'm there. It wasn't just you tell your shows, yeah, pretty much yep. performances. Nice. That's what's up. And that's how kind of things just led to one. Because my first jam there, I met this guy randomly in the crowd, just who so happened to actually be the main the main promoter for mm-hmm. the region I was in. And okay. 
through him ended up just meeting more people and more people and that specifically more producers and DJs right. through him and that's how I kind of got myself in that whole run to hanging out with uh, with the artists rather than the dancers okay yeah were you mainly focusing around um, Switzerland or were you traveling throughout the rest of Europe I was mainly based in Switzerland but pretty much from Switzerland the cool thing about it is you're in the center of Europe so right everything was pretty close okay just yeah it's always a like train a, or just a train driving. ride <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That's the coolest shit about Europe. It's yeah. just the fact that, like, you know, your favorite football club could be qualifying for Europe, and you're just like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna go to Germany for the weekend, right. or I'm gonna, you know, go to Italy or yeah, for the Champions League. You know, or something. Yeah. yeah. So, well, one thing that I found that was pretty cool is like you could literally organize your day of being like, okay, we're gonna have breakfast here, and we're gonna have lunch in Italy, and then from Italy we're gonna have our dinner in France and come back in the morning. It's right, like, right. It's doable. <laughs> yep, it's one hundred percent doable. Uh, my parents, when they first went to the Netherlands, they within an eight hour span they were of course in Amsterdam because that's where they were staying at, but then they went to Belgium and mm-hmm. Paris <laughs> within an eight hour span. Yeah, you know, I was like, all right, yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty. And nice. I think you nailed it when you say, like, you know, Europe has a good network of people getting around, so it makes it easier for people to get to jams and events and stuff. Because, mm-hmm. well, it was really, really interesting. Because I have to say, like, in the scene itself, like, it's crazy. You would find Europeans jamming to like hardcore African music. Mm-hmm. But I think that comes with what you were saying, which is it's easier to travel. So yeah. I'm here thinking these guys are locals, but they they could be coming from anywhere, you know. I mean, you got to also think too is like with like for example France. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people that migrate from Africa to France, the yep. Paris yep. period. <laughs> uh, I'd say majority of the French house dancers that I know are you know are are of uh, African descent, and. Mm-hmm. Actually, a lot of them are, were probably raised in Africa, you know, mm-hmm. you know, specifically like Cameroon or, you know, uh, Nigeria or what have you. Cote d'Ivoire, Benin, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, and Morocco, Algeria. I mean, like some notable crews to mention, like, look at Serial Steppers, mm-hmm. uh, Wanted Posse, mm-hmm. <laughs> like all these cats, uh, Old Trip, like mm-hmm. all these guys are tall ass fucking french dudes yep. <laughs> that, are, that have african descent <laughs> it's like the the funniest thing it was like the same shit with like new york right where it was like you know we would go to new york and you know you would maybe have like a couple of house dancers that were about your size and then all of a sudden you're like looking up and all the brooklynites are like at least like a good like foot and a half taller than you yeah i mean going, fuck dude so it's like yeah. I, I bet france is like the same same type it of is. shit really is uh i you know going back to my background and breaking um i'm used to seeing celebrity b-boys and b-girls that are about maybe five feet tall mm-hmm. in house it's a different story it's like five seven mm-hmm. eight to six feet tall yeah is the average height of a house dancer mm-hmm. i'm fucking short mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to a lot of house dancers and um yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty fascinating when you think about it in that sense. You're like, holy shit! And the crazy thing too is, a lot of competitive house dancing stemmed from a lot of b boys and b girls retiring from breaking to go into house. Mm-hmm. 
So I think that's like where a good chunk of that competitive drive kicked in. Yeah. It's like a lot of them are like XB boys and B girls. Mm-hmm. I myself being one of them. And, um, Which I could say it is. It does seem to be more forgiving on the body. Breaking. Mm-hmm. You can only do it for so long before your body's like chill. Right. <laughs> I mean, you'll always be able to do something, yeah. but, you know, it comes with a price. Yeah. Um, I could probably like still sling out maybe five windmills, but it'll come with a price yeah. mm-hmm. later on. <laughs> And things get just a little bit riskier the older you get when yeah. practicing, especially when it gets to like your power moves. And- oh yeah, 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 you definitely. Th- I mean, the warm ups are longer. Mm-hmm. Like if I was to start training for breaking again, my warm up would probably be like at least thirty minutes right. before I actually practice moves, and that could just be me like getting ready to do a six step. Mm-hmm. But I'd probably have to warm up for about fifteen to thirty minutes mm-hmm. just to get comfortable. Right. Again. I was thinking about back in the day, we can just, they're there, you're eating your pizza, and somebody's like, yo, Cypher, and you're like, okay, let's yeah, get it. Yeah, like, no warm-up, no stretching. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like the, the equalizing effect, too, because um, I remember somebody asked me about this one time, um, about, like, they go, like, you, you were, like, really, like, into breaking for a long time, and then you just damn near fucking stopped. Like what? What prompted you to stop and um, and and like focus on mostly like locking in house? And um, there was something that I really dug about the prospect of um, and and you you addressed this earlier when you said that you see more um, everybody's a lot more like unified and connected in house mm-hmm. as opposed to we're breaking everything is like. It's it's amazing how segregated breaking can get, yeah. right? It's like you've got a gender segregation. You've got sometimes um, regions that will segregate. Um, you've got you know power heads versus style heads versus yeah. dancers versus circus freaks. Yeah. You know, like all these like different like you know cuts. That, like everything's always like just you know divided and shit. And it, I, I thought about it a while back, and I just thought it was kind of amazing that you don't see a house boy and a house girl competition. Mm-mm. It's just a house competition. Yeah. And it's like, I could draw, you know, a female dancer from Italy, and she could just fucking roast the shit out of me. Right? right? And there's no, like, oh, well, you know, but you had the tactical um, or physical advantage because you've got, you know, fast twitch muscle fibers and that will physically make you more dynamic and you know it's like no it's just she outdanced me you know right. or or i i was on point that that night i could feel the music and that was the only reason like my saving grace you know it's like nothing else can help you except for like what you bring to the table and you know and it's it's interesting it's really interesting to see that and i think it's refreshing because i think that's that's what what gives it so much appeal is that it's a lot more equal than several other styles I mean, because, like, I think the only other thing I can find that would be comparable to that um, would be, like, more of the the subgenres of, um, uh, like, various, like, funk styles or, like, whacking mm-hmm. and voguing and stuff like that. It's like you never have, like, a whacking or voguing competition where you say, okay, yeah, you know, you you, you don't belong in this. It's like if you, if, you can, if you can do this and if you can dance and if you're fierce, then it's like, cool. Mm-hmm you can't well then yeah you're, you're not gonna make it you know so it's kind of cool like watching that shit you know same thing like in popping competitions you know yeah. you'll, you'll see you know 
um, a female popper, you know, be able to hold their own against, you know, like maybe like the entire bracket is all filled with, with dudes and she fucking gets like to the finals or even wins, Mm -hmm. you know? And then there's like other times where someone who you, you favor, like you might've had like the favored mindset. You're like, Oh yeah, yeah. This person's definitely going to win. And then they didn't do all that great, you know? So it's kind of cool. It's it's cool to, to have house be like one of those like great equalizers. Um, and that's uh, competition. That's the thing that's kind of caught me off guard with a reset for a format of breaking competitions. Because mm-hmm. when I got introduced to breaking, mm-hmm. there never used to be B boy or B girl battles. Yeah, you were just thrown in the battlefield. Right, you're going to be battling a little kid, or you might be battling a female, or you might yep. be battling another male. So it's been a little bit. It's caught me a little bit off guard of the recent formats of like, hey, I'm not I'm not bashing on anybody. I mm-hmm. guess everybody. To each their own or whatever, but mm-hmm. I always thought breaking was also a great equalizer up until mm-hmm. the recent formats I've been saying. Because again, like when I came into the breaking scene, like I remember seeing female, male and female battling each other. And mm-hmm. Nobody was making a big deal out of it, you know. Right. It was just and and I think maybe it's it's also um, I understand that like they, you know, you kind of want to like. Uh, you you can't go the way that like UFC or Vale Tudo originally did, where it was like no weight classes mm-hmm. and you know like no time limits and you might have to do three fights a night, kind of a thing. It's like you have to get to a point where you say, okay, well, in order for people to like really have a fighting chance, we need to you know set up weight classes, and right. things like that. I understand that, um, but at the same time, it's like. Think of like how many how many kids that were competing against um, like teenagers and adults yeah. in like the first freestyle sessions, and they all went on to become like world class like athlete caliber yeah. dancers, and they all started off like in crews like Little Assassins and stuff like yeah. that. You know where they were just like teeny tiny little ass kids, but they built so much character going up against people who did not care how tall you were, how young you were what you looked like it was like you either you either could could get down yeah, or you yeah, couldn't you know and um so i i think that that's kind of cool um to have the ability for people to kind of like say okay, okay well you know I'm, I'm only like seven years old i don't want to be dancing against somebody who's like you know 35 but at the same time it's like those kids are going to also get like great experience from a situation yeah. that they normally are not um uh, not exposed to and you know and I think like yeah like in, in house I, I don't I don't think I've ever actually seen like any kinds of house competitions where they've had like sub brackets where they said okay you know the you know the 15 and under right. or any of that kind of stuff I don't think they, they may have some out there but I I don't know I've, I've only ever seen like I mean, I've seen like kids who were like 13 that were from Japan that were you know dancing against like you know Europeans were like 40 and I was like fuck yeah you know so I, I thought that's incredible so I don't know like what's what's your take Oz what do you think that like having those categories is better or worse for competition um, personally for me I'm one of those guys that I'm like just throw them into the pit to mm-hmm. learn so I don't think it should be categorized I honestly don't agree with b-girl battles yeah yeah um I mean, people complain about sexist and sexism. Well, why are you entering mm-hmm. those battles then? Right. Yeah. So if you want to fix the problem, stop entering those fucking battles. Yeah. You know, why subject yourself to 
a prize money that's lower than what you feel like well, than what you should deserve right or why subject yourself to kind of going into a competition where you're basically you're not maybe you're personally not stating it but your actions are kind of showing like yeah i can't hang with male dancers mm-hmm. you know like that's i don't really i don't agree with bureau battles i mean to each his own obviously we're friends with people that throw them mm-hmm. I mean, if they wanted to ask me about it i'll tell them straight up that i think it's whack yeah but it is what it is um kids battles i mean it's like the same shit mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i get it it could, it'll probably make the jam run a little longer. It'll be a little less interesting. I don't know, people will get their feelings hurt, but motherfucker, this is dance. Mm-hmm. So that's just my two cents in it. If House ever had came to that point, I would probably be a little turned off by it. Yeah. But. I mean, and it, it just goes to show, like, culturally, too, like, where, where, where was this style born from? It was born from the club. And what was the club? The club was like a free for all. Mm-hmm. It's like if you were sly enough and you were able to like, you know, sneak in, and you were like fifteen, you were going to be dancing with people who were, you know, forty five. It was just going to be, it was just going to be an open book, right? So, I think that yeah, that's it's it's kind of weird when you see when people want to say, okay, well, you know. Um, we, we want everybody to have like a, a turn at bat. So, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to put up the bumpers and we're going to put up the T ball, you know, set up and, you know, give other people a chance and, you know, give them 15 tries or a mulligan or F, F12, you know, and everything. Um, but then, like, what kind of sucks about that too is that that sort of takes away from like the heart and the spontaneity of like, you know, what, what we do in house too, which is, you know, everything was always like, you didn't get a redo. You didn't get a second chance. You just it was like the song was just playing and you just went out there and you just went. You know, there was no there was no end to the music either. You were continuously dancing. So I think that it's like it's good because then those kids um are gonna get that that type of feeling and exposure so that way it's actually prepping them for the club. Exactly. You know, because then by the time that, that kid is like, you know, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old. You know, they're going like, okay, I've, I've been like competing in Europe or over in uh, Japan or where have you. And then now this is my first time back in Europe where I'm allowed to go to an after party right. or something, you know. And it's just like, you know, that that, that young kid who was like a, a prospective, you know, uh, dancer is now just fucking ripping in the ciphers. And they're just going and you're just like, you know, and it was like it was because they got to actually swim in deep water for a really long time so they're really really strong and they're no they're going to know how to like hold their own whereas you know sometimes i think that like the scary part is when you have it where uh studios i feel can be um dangerous for dancers because then it it doesn't encourage them to like go into the club and actually battle or not battle test but like really pressure test what they know or what they're learning because they could just go all right well you know i still got you know uh class Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and it's like, all right, well, come on to the club. We're going to the club Friday night. Well, you know, I'm just and then they, they drag their feet about it, and it's just like, okay, but you're you're practicing a club dance. You know, you should at least try it, and it's like natural habitat. You know, and that's you know that you don't you don't want to sit there and like be you know doing like cardio kickboxing for a real super long amount of time, and then um, someone says, okay, but. You know, let's let's actually work out some self self defense, 
And you go, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And you're like, okay, but you're claiming that you know self-defense. Right. You're like, well, yeah, you know. And it's just like, yeah, you got really good cardio, but, you know, have you ever actually been, like, in a confrontation where you have to rely on your skill set, you know? So, yeah, I just, I, I think that, yeah, it's, it's just kind of weird when you see, like, other other competitions where they, they, they want to, like, really, like, break everything down and, you know, cut it into, like, brackets and gender-based things or weight class things or, oh, we're going to do a footwork competition right. or a power move competition or, you know, what have you. I mean, they're, they're, I just, I, like, I, I don't think it would ever happen in-house, you know, and I hope it never happens in-house, but it would just be kind of, it'd be, it'd be kind of odd to, like, have, like, all right, who, who's got the best scribble foot? No, you know I, what it does, that does happen in-house. Um, I don't mind categorizing specific moves. It's the gender is what I mind that kind of irks me a little. Um, if it came to that point in house, yeah, I'd be a little disappointed. Be like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, what's the point? But moves, that's fine. You know, power moves, sure. Just don't say like, oh, power moves for B girl mm-hmm. battle, power move B girl battle, okay. right? You know, like why don't you just do power move? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there is such thing in house. It's called Hawks method. Mm-hmm. So Yuxin Hawks from France, he developed a system. And um, I was fortunate enough to actually like experience one, not be in one because it's an invite only, mm-hmm. but to be a part of the spectators. Okay. And uh, how it works, it's like an octagon shape. Mm-hmm. There's ten dancers. Uh, out of those ten, five judge, and they judge one category. So it's a specific category. So one will be loose legs, mm-hmm. scribble foot, heel step, um, farmer, mm-hmm. floor work, you know, whatever, what have you. And then the other five rotate around the around the circle mm-hmm. and have to do each one and the judges obviously the judges are their competition as well so they score them and whoever scores the highest um gets like a belt damn know? yeah it's actually pretty sick just look it up on youtube mm-hmm. called hawks method so they have it for house they have it for hip-hop i think they might have had it for breaking too okay um but yeah there is something like that and it's quite enjoyable and no gender specific either mm-hmm. it's a it's a battle for everyone so some to mention um that was in the one that i that i went to was coflow frankie J, perla um who else was in there a couple more people that i just can't run my mind across but some notable names to mention mm-hmm. you know um i hope it comes to a point where it, it's open like it's an open uh, battle mm-hmm. where people can just enter it, but it does make sense to an extent why it's invite only because shit will take forever. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Feel free to look that up. I think we should wrap it up. Yeah. 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 Gotta go. Yeah. 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 So coming up. there you go. Why don't you uh, one last time go ahead and uh, promote um, your podcast and any other thing that you have um, as far as like social media and stuff so people can like look you up. Right on. Well, first, before that, thank you guys again for having me here. Yeah, really thank you for being here. Great combo over here. Yeah. yeah. Went much better than I expected. <laughs> mm. But for everybody listening in, uh, name's Rockley. You can refer to me as your dopeness. And you can go ahead and find the Dope Not Hype show right now and on SoundCloud. Pretty soon on the SoundCloud side, you will find all the details you need to know. So we will also be publishing on there when the iTunes gets approved as well so we're awesome. still right. still on the works on that waiting for the approval to come back okay because I also kind of figured that 
not a lot of people are too familiar with SoundCloud anymore. Mm-hmm. But once again, that's the Dope Not Hype show. I am your dopeness, and you can find us on there. And you can also find us on the Instagram under your dopeness if you're trying to keep up with things. But SoundCloud would be your best bet, guys. <laughs> uh, one other question, too. Uh, track that you're currently feeling right now. Yeah. Ooh, that's a top one. Sorry, we should have prepped you. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> Actually, it's been kind of stuck on here, and you guys mentioned them earlier. Detroit Sandal, BYOB. BYOB. Got it. Love it. Yep. Cool, man. Well, thank you again for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah. And, thank you, guys. Uh, we'll definitely have you on again soon. Yep. And you guys got to stop by. I got to get you guys over to mine as well. Oh, yeah. We'd love to love to be on it. Definitely. Honestly, I will need a mix from you, but I can get in touch with you on that one another time. Sounds good. I guess I'll have to get that rust out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, um, thank you all for tuning into another episode of Styles and Chris. And we will talk to you soon. Peace, peace. Peace.